Hello, welcome back to Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Starting off April, a new month that is probably going to be, unfortunately, quite a bit like the previous month. Maybe not for too much longer. To help you get through the time, I'm back with Chris Anderson. Starting something of a, a new series here that we want to get going and kind of revisit and dig into some stories that maybe you forgot about, maybe you want to know more about, maybe you only heard about and you feel like you need to be brought up to speed. And we're going to start today with probably one of the more popular questions. What the heck happened with the 2011 men's basketball recruiting class? I welcome in Chris right now. This was really at the beginning of your time owning the corner of the web on West Virginia recruiting. And this was an auspicious beginning when you look at this collection of players and ultimately uh, what they came to be from what it looked like they could be at the beginning. Yeah, I think I had just gotten started with 24-7 sports. I didn't even own the site yet. And this might have been the first basketball class uh, I covered. I do remember these guys. I remember some of the stories about recruiting, not all of them. Uh, so it, it's kind of it's going to be fun for me. It's going to be one of those stories, uh, those podcasts where I might just remember a few things along with our listeners. Um, and, and maybe you have a few stories that you can share that maybe I don't know. And while you're doing that, I might go back and uh, scrub some of my predictions I had for a few of these recruits because uh, I, I don't think we want that on the web anymore. Yeah. Let's um let's give you the names because maybe you forgot about these guys and maybe you want to or, or don't remember them or whatever. But it's a large collection of players. And these are the players who sign in November of 2010 and later the spring of 2011. And they're part of the first team. Their first team is the 2011-2012 season, which – We'll get into all that, but it's a large class. It's kind of unusual in that you're not going to see something quite this unusual again, or quite this large again, just because of the number of players. And and this is why you work around things and you try to even out classes. But uh, seven new scholarship players on this roster. Point guard, Jabari Hines. Shooting guard, Aaron Brown. Small forwards, Tommy McCune, Keaton Miles. And then center, Pat Forsythe, five players who sign in the fall. In the spring, they add point guard Gary Brown and power forward Dominique Rutledge. Later additions because of things that happened during the 2010-2011 season. So seven players, five in the fall, and five, excuse me, two in the spring. This is brought about because the 2010-2011 roster was kind of unusual. They, they had lost a number of players from the Final Four team. And then following that, Cam Thurman, Casey Mitchell, Johnny West, Joe Missoula, um, gone. So pretty much turned over the entire roster in two years. And when something like that happens, you got to add people. And then you end up having a class that's that big. And then even during the season, Dan Jennings fades, Dalton Pepper fades. They're both gone by the end of the season. Uh, excuse me, John Flowers is a senior on that 2011 team as well. So you're looking at, again, Huge, huge turnover from the 2010-2011 team, which is why you have to have such a large recruiting class. Kind of an anomaly nowadays today to see a number that big, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you're really only going to see that for teams like, say, Kentucky that are going to, you know, one and done handful of kids off every single year and send them off to the pros. 
Um, I would, uh, unless, you know, West Virginia runs into a similar issue again with, with departures or transfers, you're not going to see a class bigger than like four, maybe five. And, and again, a, a lot of that's going to be, say, a class that starts out with two or three, and then you add, add two or three more later because of transfers, and that's it. Could be Wichita State, too. Oh. Not great over there. But no. let's just, again, let's just kind of reset this here. The 2010 team had had, had as seniors Deshaun Butler, Wellington Smith. You also have Devin Ebanks go pro that year. So there's three guys. Um, the following season, as we just mentioned, a number of seniors. Thurman, Mitchell. I can't remember if Wes was on scholarship or not. Was he on scholarship? Uh, I don't think so. Maybe, okay. I think he was for one year, but I can't remember which one it was. So Thurman and Mitchell, definitely on scholarship. John Flowers, definitely on scholarship. Jim Mazzula, and then Pepper and Jennings transferred. Well, Jennings transferred during the season, famously left at halftime of a game. That probably is a story of itself. Um, and then Dalton Pepper transfers after, frankly, winning an NCAA tournament game against Clemson during his final run with the team. So, again, a large number of players, and they, you would think, fit their needs. Uh, guards, forwards, centers, they had to touch all corners of the court. They really did. And if you look at just the numbers in this class, um, number 27 in the country, they were number 50 the year before and number 45 the year after. So, you know, really trended toward an extreme with them and how good this class was on paper, Chris. And we don't play the game on paper, but we do look on paper, especially uh, nine years later. Um, it's pretty good work hauling in these guys. It was, and I, I'm sure we'll get into more detail uh, in a few minutes on on this other side story that's related to this. But the way this class started was was awesome. I, you know, obviously Pat Forsyth was the first and the first commit in the class. Was, hey, there's a big man, six ten. He's scoring a lot. He's rebounding a lot. He's dominating in high school in Ohio. And then the next commit is actually someone who doesn't even end up in the class, but it's Ryan Boatwright who right. ends up or would if he had stayed in the class being the top recruit, the top rated recruit in the class and one of the top rated recruits West Virginia ever had. And the next day, West Virginia adds Jabari Hines, which he ends up being the top rated recruit in the class because his commitment so ticks off Boatwright and his family that Boatwright decommits. But that for a while there, it looked like that was the start. And West Virginia had just gotten two of the best point guards and were planning on playing them together in some fashion. Um, and it was going to be really special. And they had a big man, and then it was just kind of, hey, let's fill in from there. And and then, of course, Boatwright decommits, and, and you have to kind of scramble. And, and then West Virginia loads that class with kind of small forward-looking guys. And, um, hey, would you say that actually the replacement for Boatwright ended up being all right? Because that was a, a one Mr. Gary Brown in that class. When you look at the seven, probably, I mean, not even probably, the best college career is Gary Brown. Um, I think of the eight, if you redrafted, you would take Boatwright first. Yeah. And you would do everything you could to keep him, right? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, he had a, he had a great career at UConn. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what he did after that, if he did much of anything. But, of course, we're just looking at college. Uh, I think he's probably the best of the eight. Average in his career at UConn, 14 points, 3.8 assists, added 3.5 rebounds, 1.5 steals per game, shot 38% from the floor. 
it would have been wild if those two played together um, because you would have a fast team with guards who could really get to the basket, which is what they, they ultimately wanted to do. And don't forget, they would have been pretty well situated in the backcourt getting into the Big 12, which I think they discovered quickly and, and painfully, perhaps, it was not a front court league. It was a backcourt league, and you couldn't have the bruising back to the basket style they were used to in the Big East. That always seemed like a what if to me. What if they walked into the Big 12 with um, Hines, Boatwright together, or Boatwright, who was just a really good college guard? How much different could things have been, and how much do you not scramble having to piece things together later? Uh, yeah, I, I think that was obviously once they made that move to the Big 12, that was the biggest problem with this team was what they could do in the backcourt and if they could keep up with the athleticism instead of the big bruising style, like you mentioned. And Boatwright, Boatwright would have been a game changer. Um, of course, once you start getting into that, what ifs, you got to go down the ripples of, it, you know, if he's in there, it does say a couple years later, do a couple of the other point guards that come along end up developing the way that they develop because West Virginia ended up having some good backcourt play. Um, Daxter Miles, Javon Carter, uh, so uh, Jawan State and transferring in. Uh, do these guys develop the same way if Ryan Boatwright is eating up? Because he stuck around all four years. And so that's going into the 14-15 season, which would be what uh, the fir- – the was that – Staten's senior year, I think, and mm-hmm. Javon Carter's first year, Daxter Miles' first year, Jason Page's first year, Tariq Phillips' first year. So you get into that kind of ripple effect. But those first couple of years in the Big 12 would have been a lot more smooth with Ryan Boatwright at the helm. That's for sure. What strikes me about this, and this is so unusual today, and maybe due in part because of this class, you have a number of junior college players in seemingly every class, uh, five high school players. In the first five. And in fact, the first six players were high school players because Gary Brown came from uh, a high school in Jacksonville, an academy in Jacksonville. So they really tried to get high school players here, too. And boy, you wonder if they kept the core together for some time, what could have been. But you just don't see that very much either, where you just basically try to invest in high school talent and hope that they stick around for four years or at least until they're good enough to go pro. Um, Looking at that talking and talking about development and, and let's focus on the seven guys that actually made it in the team. Um. Which one would you say did you feel like really just missed their chance to be something special for West Virginia? Because as we're going to get into, none of these guys, other than Brown, really made an impact at West Virginia. And then they transferred elsewhere. And what, Jabari Hines got sixth man of the year in his conference. So there's no, you know, you you can't uh, doubt that. That's pretty solid. But as far as star power goes, there really wasn't any in this class anywhere, regardless of where they ended up playing. But was there one guy that you felt like could have been special if they had, had kind of just clicked at West Virginia? I'll give you two. Um, Hines is the obvious one, and he was excellent as a senior at UMass, as you just referred to, but 14.5 points, shot 50% from two-point range, which was, you know, that was going to be his game um, because he was good at dash into the basket, but he also shot 37% from three. Um and got to the line a bunch, too, so that was a good thing. I just felt like he could be the quick guard that could, you know, kind of like the Kemba Walker-ish player who could just break people down and create isolated one-on-one offense, which, again, they were going to need in the Big 12. You had to score points to win. It was different. Um, and then this is not popular, I guess, but, like, Forsyth was just a guy that I think could have done things for West Virginia and with West Virginia, set screens, rebound, and just been a good player. Like, I have a feeling he could have – had a good ceiling and reached it. The other guys are difficult to project, and they went on to varying degrees of success, and they probably were who they were um, 
to a large degree. Forsythe ended up having an all right career in the Mac. Uh, I wonder if he could have been something different, you know, going into this transition of the Big 12 and, and kind of being a different player that could facilitate things. Just don't know. I have a feeling that I don't know what he could have been, but I think when you say, did he miss the boat on something? there was a great opportunity for him to develop because it wouldn't have been the first time, you know, some six, nine, six, ten guy developed and became a very good player for West Virginia in his junior and senior years. Um, can you guess what the first thing that pops up is when you Google Pat Forsyth and how shocked I was? Uh, I know this, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing that popped up was NBA G league. Like he was, he not only, did well enough at Akron to, to, you know, stick around there and start at Akron, but, uh, you know, to get a pro career started, to go play in the G league, to play with future professionals. And I believe he went overseas after that. So, uh, you know, things turned out all right for him, but I was not expecting that. I was going back to do my research and that, that, that caught me off guard. Um, shot 53% in his career from the floor and then was, was taking a number of shots too, but you know, was getting by the end of his career, his final two years, he's averaging like nine points a game shooting 50%, not a great rebounder. I think never touched five rebounds a game, which is kind of, you know, perhaps discouraging for a six ten guy, but again, was not without skill was not without potential. And again, I, I do think he could have been something here too. Um, but we'll get into why he left and some things are out of his control. But again, uh, that was the first player in the class. And again, that's someone that they liked. They saw early, they knew some people and they said, boy, you know, throw a couple pounds on him, get him in the weight room for a couple years. And, and what do you have? You know, you probably have a guy who's 6'10, you know, 250, 255. And it's kind of a controlling force in the paint that these guys can play around. Who knows though? So where do we want to go? Do we want to go with the the missed opportunities? Uh, do we want to delve deeper into the boat ride, or is there anything more to cover on that? Well, with the boat I think thing? I think again, boat ride's the one that got away. That's a that's a national champion. I don't think he won the MOP, but I, I'm certain he was on the all tournament team that year, and and they were good. And that's a team that shouldn't have probably won a national championship, but did because he was excellent. And you know there were really good players around him, of course, but he was part of that too. Um, and I don't think, though, that you can be fair to Jabari Hines by saying that was a mistake. Let's talk about Hines. Um, we talked about how maybe that was. Can a, I interrupt you for a second, Mike? I'm sorry. You just did. I know, but I'm going to because I, I feel like we are missing something extremely important here. <laughs> extremely. Did you know? I, 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 I'm trying to recall here, but I think this is the first time I saw a mention that the conversation about Ryan Boatwright is what sparred, uh, spurned the. Um, no rear view mirror in the truck with old Phil. Was that the, was that the first reference that, uh, I don't know. What is that? 2013, 2014, when West Virginia played UConn and he was being asked about, you know, <laughs> Hey, do you have any regrets about what happened with, you know, boat ride ended up so well and Heinz no longer on the team. And he told that story. That was when he told us, I don't look back. I got a truck with this old boy to go play ball one time, et cetera, et cetera. So, it, would you say it's worth it that you know we got that story out of it at least yes if, if for nothing else and that's it dabble the ocean is who would you catch so nothing wrong with that Let, let's let's be fair to Heinz though um there's nothing wrong with taking both of them and there's nothing wrong with saying let's say this game pushed to shove there's nothing wrong with saying actually Heinz is going to be on our team or Heinz is our guy or Heinz is a guy um Number 84 in the country, number one in the state of New York, four-star. The composite score is uh, 96.61. A 
pretty good talent from Mount Vernon, West Virginia. Obviously knew Mount Vernon, the program, the coach well. And he was excellent in high school. Um, he looked like he was going to be a sure thing scoring guard in college. I think that we can look back in the past and say that didn't work out because he just didn't – he couldn't finish around the basket. He had you know on-the-court issues here and say that was a mistake, especially when you put him in a conversation next to Boatwright and the heights that he reached. But at the infant stage, zero wrong with taking Jabari Hines. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love – you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. No, a, what the 11th highest rated recruit ever to sign with West Virginia, right above Jalen Bridges and right behind Derek Culver, uh, Mr. Basketball in New York City, his senior year um, is a no brainer. I mean, and I think obviously the staff wanted both of them. And the problem was Boatwright wasn't Boatwright and Boatwright's family were under the impression that he was going to be the only one. But taking both of them was was Huggins plan all along and. I don't want to say he he kind of made that decision like Hines over Boatwright. He wanted both, but Boatwright didn't want both. So that's what, just what happens. And Hines was, I, I think a lot of schools would have taken Hines. No doubt about it. Do you know the number two rated recruit in that WVU class? Well, uh, I did just a minute ago because I was looking at it, but Tommy McCune. How? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, I, I was not involved in the rankings. I did not see him play in high school, so I, I'm going to defer that to somebody else. It's curious to me. Um, I don't know the story there, but I, from what I understand, there was a recommendation that they went on and I thought that he could be a good player, and it just didn't turn out. But um, number 143 in the country, number six in Michigan, number 31 nationally at the small forward position. Uh, let me just hit you with the bios or the, the recruiting bios of the remaining players. Aaron Brown, number 148 in the country, number 32 among small forwards, number five in Pennsylvania. So right away, uh, Hines, McCune, and Brown, you have three top 50 players, top 150 players. That's great. And then three guys who were top six in their state, top 32 in their position. The cream of the crop right there is – very, very impressive. You go further down, Keaton Miles was from Dallas, Texas, a number 19 player in the state, number 237 nationally. Another small forward, though, 
uh, number 54 nationally. Forsyth, 241 nationally, number eight in Ohio. Uh, I think Huggins likes guys who are from Ohio and, and can play the game and know how to play it. Uh, Gary Brown, a little bit different, 433 nationally, number 94 point guard, number 25 in the state of Florida. Just from going to Arlington Country Day School, which, again, you got to be a good player, a good student to get into, but that was sort of a transitional situation for him. And Dominic Rutledge, who probably, unfortunately, never got a chance, but was a freaky athlete, um, unfortunately had a knee injury right away that he never really got past in his two seasons there, but uh, top 15 junior college player, top five small forward and top five player in uh, Miami. He went to Miami Day College, which usually plays pretty good basketball there. But again, you look at that, and these are all three-star guys, one four-star guy, but had bona fides that you really couldn't argue with right there too. But there is some mystery involved in that. I don't want to say recruiting rankings don't matter because they do. Uh, also saying that might get me fired and don't want to do that now. But <laughs> you look back at these things and you say, wow, you need to revisit these. And I think if you revisited them, you would probably make Brown a lot higher I think that you probably have to lower Hines and McCune and Brown and Miles, but maybe Forsyth, you would say, you know what? Eh, probably right about right, too, but not fair to reorder it. But hindsight being what it is, it's, it's kind of a fun exercise, too. Um, to you, what is the legacy of this class? Here we are devoting time on a podcast in the middle of a global pandemic. I don't think anybody ever expected this to happen or this to be part of our conversation nine years later, but it's something that we do talk about and think about, and people wonder. Uh, how or why this occurred, but this is kind of a loaded question, but when you think about it now, or when you think about it five years from now, what is the descriptor that you use? What's the legacy you apply to this group? Honestly, the the forgotten class. And, or maybe it, because here's my, here's my thing. That, the reason why it's such a big deal, which seems counterintuitive to being forgotten, but it's, it was amidst a stretch of a couple different classes in a row being terrible. Because mm -hmm. um, that was 2011. That's the class we're, we're currently talking about. 2012, what do you, uh, you get a couple half seasons, uh, a couple seasons out of Terry Henderson and Aaron Harris before they both, uh, you know, well-documented issues at Western, not issues, they get, get in trouble or anything, but um, butting heads with Huggins and deciding to transfer both of them. Uh Vladimir Garon, uh, who was a late ad, did nothing. Uh, and then I think we have Richard Romeo on here, but I think he was walking. He was walking on, so I don't know why we have him on the commitment list. Elijah Macon was supposed to be the prize of that recruiting class, but uh, ended up not getting eligible for that class and would have to arrive later. So, and then the class before that in 2010, Noah Cottrell, famous you know in-state bust. Kevin Noreen, who was supposed to be I mean, God, I think he was averaging 40 points a game in high school in Minnesota and comes here and is, you know, a, what, a backup big man at best. And that's a stretch of three straight classes that are just terrible. And for me, you know, I know we were going back to discuss it because there were seven guys in there, should have been good. It was coming off the, the Final Four, and it just didn't pan out. But, you know, we all know the story of the 2012 class with the transfers and with making not making it in. And we know about 2010 because the Noah Cottrell story has been hashed out a thousand times. And Kevin Noreen, uh, we know what happened there right? or, or what didn't happen there. We went from an offensive, uh, you know, uh, just an amazing offensive player to nothing in, in college. And then there's that middle class, that middle class right there in the middle of 2011 that we're, we're looking back on now and wondering, 
how could they not get a better class and how did some of these guys not end up being better? So for me, it's almost like a forgotten class. Like it just never even happened. Yep. And what might've been is, is kind of what we spent some time on here. Um, Cause again, I think you could look at Aaron Brown and say, that's a Philadelphia guard. They'd like to recruit Philadelphia guys. They had, you know, they had that edge to them that they liked similar to New York city. Maybe that's a guy who works. Uh, again, I talked about Forsyth. We talked about Hines. Um, Keaton Miles had some moments. It could have been great things, but it didn't, which leads me to this, too. There, there was obviously discontent um, with a number of players. And at one point, following the Final Four season, 12 out of 16 recruits who signed either didn't enroll or didn't last. That's not good. Um, this is the class that did not – well, I, I should say this is the 2011 class, which means they started signing in November 2010 – and April 2011. And a lot of people think that these were the fruits of the Final Four run. That's not necessarily true. You pretty much have to lapse a year. So while that does not free these guys of any blame, it also makes that the class that follow that you just mentioned with Harris and Henderson and Garen, that's the class of this year the Final Four accomplishments on, and it just didn't work. And they had to be really good that year because, one, the iron was hot after the Final Four, and two, a lot of those guys from the 2011 class bailed right away. Um, many of them transferred right after the first season. I believe Brown, no, Hines and Miles lasted two years. Is that correct? Yeah, Brown. And every, um, sorry, yes. No, so, again, they had some holes right away they had to fill in. It just didn't work. Um, but I do think when you look at that, and I mentioned discontent, and we are kind of are in a period of sports right now, not presently in the situation we're in, but just at large with trends across many years – where people transfer and they get unhappy and coaches more and more don't take it and weaken recruiting and weaken retention. And I think players imposing their will by being able to transfer or maybe sulking or only going so hard and so far to the point that they're still catered to, because you have to keep players. You don't want to keep turnstiling transfers out um, that maybe it made West Virginia a little bit more, um, I don't want to say soft, but let's say soft than certainly Bob Huggins wanted. And he had to reboot that thing hard and fast. And as you mentioned, they got in a situation where they were really trying to add guards and they did. And what happened? They started pressing and they were the opposite of soft and they were fast and furious. And they really did a 180 on this kind of um, thumbnail sketch that had emerged through shadows and through darkness and through question marks in the program I'm not saying that they wanted to go through that to get to those four really good years with the press, but that's a heck of a response, and that's a way to turn things around. If things are getting away from you, and people are getting away from you, and they're taking liberties because they can, and they're transferring because they want to try something and it didn't work and they go somewhere else. you got to get guys who are going to be you know, the antithesis of that, the opposite of that. Anathema is the word I'm thinking of. Um, and they did. Carter, Page, Phillip. Miles, Staten, those were much more dogged players who were determined to make it work, who did not want to leave, who really had no other options, either because they were junior college players or because they didn't have a lot of other offers to play somewhere. And it really turned things around. So getting the right players and getting those right players programmed in the way that they pressed, they harassed, they harangued people, and they won. Um, I think if you look back, this class we're talking about, unintentionally and perhaps unwittingly kind of started the turn in the proper direction. 100% agree. I was looking back 2013. You're looking at classes, got Devin Williams, Elijah Macon finally makes it in, Brandon Watkins, Jonathan Holton, Nathan Adrian. Uh, Daxter Miles commits but doesn't make it till the next class. Then you got Javon Carter, um, 
Tariq Phillip, Jason Page. Uh, and I think a, a, a couple before that was when Juwan Staten came in as a transfer. So, like you said, yeah, it, it, it you hit your low and, and you change your attitude about where you're recruiting, how you're recruiting, what kind of guys you're recruiting. And West Virginia did that. And then they started, uh, you know, reaping the benefits of of that change. And let's not forget this, too. Um, it's not that they got away from recruiting stars, but the players that we've mentioned, Carter, Miles, the junior college transfers, these were not the same echelon of the guys that we listed from 2011, right? Those guys in 2011, we said, had the rankings and had the stars. Ultimately, the players that are more recent that we've just recently highlighted here, um, they were better and they became greater stars to where if you did reevaluate the classes, they would get much higher marks and deservedly so. That does not mean that's the way it is now, because if you look at Oscar Shibway, if you look at Derek Culver, if you look at even Miles McBride, who would have been a good recruit if he was healthy, West Virginia has gotten back into shopping in the more luxurious aisles and coming home with some really good players, too. That helps. Yeah, I look at guys like Shibway, you just mentioned five-star player, but not your typical kind of um, – not your typical five-star. When I think of five-star, he's just a hard-nosed kid. So I think – They've changed it. They're still going after the top kids. Uh, Twenty number twenty-two in the two thousand nineteen class, and a lot of those guys already made a big impact on this team, a top twenty-five team, and they're hoping to continue that in two thousand twenty. So um, they'll keep adding players. And, and yeah, we've already discussed on this podcast before, guys like I, Cottrell, Thweet, and and Kitty Johnson, and how they can make an impact right away for this team. So I think I I think it's safe to say that we're not going to have a repeat of two thousand eleven at least in this class or in the next couple. Proof again that you don't worry about the problem, you worry about the solution. Everybody has problems, and we're all going to run into walls, but how we distinguish and differentiate ourselves is how we get over, around, through, or underneath those walls. And West Virginia, through time and through effort, certainly did that. And Chris, I feel the same about you and me. We don't have a lot <laughs> of content and a lot of things to write about right now, but I think we've kickstarted something here that will get people listening. Yeah, I, I have a feeling we're going to have some good podcasts coming up. It's going to get a little weird, um, but but we're going to help you guys get through all this. If you have ideas, shoot us a message, Twitter, on the inbox on earsports.com, whatever you choose. We have some of these up our sleeve that will unreal over time, but we'll wait until the next episode. So that is all for this time. We'll talk to you next time. I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll see you around.